This is Season 6, Episode 3, Regenerative Leadership with Laura Storm. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I've been looking forward to it. Me too. And I'm wondering if you could share where you're joining us from geographically. I'm joining you from Copenhagen, Denmark, so Northern Hemisphere. Mm -hmm. And what is it like seasonally there right now? We are at the end of winter. Um, So the first signs of spring have emerged. Mm. The first cracks of light. Um, So that, that feels wonderful. And also I notice in myself that that every year after a long and delicious winter, and maybe we can talk more about that because that's something that I have intentionally cultivated a relationship to, that ease of wintering. So it's actually become something that I cherish and look forward to. But also at this time of year, I start to sense a bit of anxiousness around leaving the wintering phase and entering spring and summer. Although those seasons can be wonderful, it's, um, it's also seasons where I really need to stay grounded mm. and continue to weave in small winter faces and winter energies as I go about my day or else I will exhaust and deplete my my inner ecosystem. Mm, I so relate to that. I'm obviously on the other side of the world and two weeks away from autumn, although the signs are already here and I'm really looking forward to that wintering season because I, I find spring and summer both chaotic and also I've noticed how great the expectations I hold on myself in those seasons are purely because of the conditioning of uh, culture and systems that promote an eternal summer. So I really feel, I feel that deeply when you say I'm excited, but it's mixed. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Just on that note, um, what is the vision of the world or a vision of the world that you're working towards or cultivating and how are you currently exploring or expressing that? So since I was a kid, I've known that I wanted to work with sustainability. It was just not the term back in the days. Um, I, I grew up as a kid in the 80s. And back then, um, the major issues were... Um, the ocean uh, ozone layer protection that was especially in your part of the world actually so you know all about that but to me that was so scary as a kid um also acidification of rain was a major issue in the 80s um and then of course an issue that is still very high on the agenda today is the depletion of natural forest and rainforest in particular. Um, so since I was a kid, I, I, I knew I wanted to work 
towards bring it, bringing about a more, um, in lack of a better word, let's use the word sustainable way of, of living, but, but in harmony with principles of life. That, that was just not part of my vocabulary as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started as an eight-year-old to become part of a, of a movement that raised funds to buy up pieces of the Amazon forest. Um, and I went there as soon as high school was done because I thought that my life path was in environmentalism. Um, and it was a wonderful time I spent there um, in the Ecuadorian part of the Amazon, um, working closely with shamans, also getting to know different species. And um, we were planting seedlings, uh, collecting seeds in a plant nursery, bought up um, areas or pieces of land that oil companies had destroyed and tried to regenerate those lands. It was really an important learning experience uh, for me. And although that is now over 20 years ago, it's it, it stayed with me. But I also got a clear sense that working within environmentalism was not really for me. There was a lot of anger, a lot of frustration and a lot of separation in that field. Um, and I wanted to understand the so-called evil machine of business from the inside. So I went back and studied business in uh, Copenhagen in London. And uh, and then I approximately 17, 15, 16 years ago started to build global organizations that had the purpose of um of, of helping organizations and businesses transition. So I've worked within the field of uh, climate change policy, was very involved in that on a global level, um, was very involved in, in, in global political negotiation process leading up to what everyone thought would be the uh, negotiation of the successor of the Kyoto Protocol from, from 97. It was a big political summit in Copenhagen where I was involved in a group that um, that was headed by Tim Flannery from Australia, actually, mm-hmm. um, and also Richard Branson um, and a lot of, a lot of CEOs from U.S., European, and um, Asian uh, energy utilities. And we were I was heading that alliance um, as, a, as a project director was the official title. And spend years on trying to argue for the business case of a strong global political deal. Um, but due to a lot of things that is interesting in itself to analyze, but very much a hyper-masculine um, negotiation environment, that those negotiations completely fell to the ground. Um, thankfully, they were picked up six years later, and that's where we, we have the Paris Agreement. Um, and that process I was also involved in. Um, I've created an organization called Sustainia. After, after those political failures, I thought, okay, how can we, what can we do to create an excited momentum? Because people are not turned on by the rhetoric and the discourse um, that is... Um, that is so dominating within this field, this very gloom and doomsday 
uh, way of communicating about a sustainable transition. This, um, there's so much shame involved in the rhetoric, and I thought we need to go about this as an, in another way. We need to make this desirable, attractive, and we need to create a new vocabulary, a new narrative around that. So I created an organization called Sustainia that had Arnold Schwarzenegger and um, Pharrell Williams and others involved in an attempt to make it more popular and reach a new target audience. And, and what we did in that organization was to focus on making sustainable solutions and technologies within all kinds of sectors exciting and give them a, give them a spotlight and give them attention and awareness. Um, and that was great, and we did, did a lot of great things. Um, and then seven years ago, I had a, um, a brain injury. Um, so I went from this very type A, I worked all the time, I felt the weight of the world on my shoulders, um, uh, a, a kind of um, characteristic that many people that are passionate about changing the world have, which is to some extent slightly narcissistic, but that kind of self-understanding that if I don't do it, no one will, um, and I need to dedicate every waking hour to this or else it won't happen. Um, so that was definitely part of my personality back then. So I worked a lot and I had depleted my inner resources to the fullest. So when that injury happened, I did not have my, my inner ecosystem did not have the carrying capacity to carry me through that. And, 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 and it was just like I collapsed. I was not able to regenerate quickly because I had depleted my 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 emotional or and physical ecosystem um, uh, to a massive extent. So I had to spend a lot of time in a healing cave. I had a two-year-old at the time, so it was not easy. Mm. Um, spend a lot of time in in silence and darkness and in nature. And it was kind of like um, it was this reconnection with a strong inner force that I had known and cultivated as a kid, but also in the Amazon rainforest. Um, and it was like things started to come back to me. And it became very clear to me that if we are to ever succeed, we need a completely different approach. We need to focus on inner sustainability as well, mm -hmm. or else we will never su succeed. And we need to change the narrative from one of net zero and scaling technologies and new political agreements, et cetera, to to one of regeneration, to one of empowering people to see the potential of, uh, of regenerative approaches, both on a micro and a macro level, because everything is interconnected. And what you do on a micro level is what, it, is what will infuse the macro level. So that became very clear for me those years. And, and since then, that has been my, my key mission to make primarily business leaders, but it's become more broader than that. But, but making, um, executives, politicians, designers, architects, aware of, um, of the regenerative potential and how that can unleash um, human creativity and, and, and life force and ingenuity in a way that we, that we deeply need right now if we want to steer our societies um, on a more regenerative and healing path. Mm. I've got little tears in the corner of my eyes, Laura, because it's like your story is 
my story is so many others' stories, activists that have tried to bring about the change in the same with the same urgency and fervor that got us here in the first place, coming to a deep healing place, a regenerative place, and then stewarding these ideas and principles within organizations, but also in community and in, and relationally, you know, which is most vital. So I'm so grateful you shared that. And there's so many places I want to go and so many things I want to ask you, but I guess principally what I was thinking about when you were talking is how so often I think there's still a removal or a separation of the regenerative environmental climate change movement outside of the other social movements that are happening at the moment. And I'm wondering in, in your words or from your perspective, how a lot of the social movements that are happening right now are interconnected and how regeneration can bring about not only I guess, change in terms of how we treat the earth and the resources as well as how we treat our own bodies, but how we can also bring about system transformation around other social issues as well. I think we live in at a very exciting time in many ways. And many, maybe that's because I, I, I since a very early age, I, I consciously programmed my brain to look for the positive or else I, I, I kind of intuitively knew I would get really, really depressed um, because it is quite a dire uh, state the world is in right now. Um, and there's a lot to be deeply saddened about and we need to make room and space for that grief as well. But there's also a lot of positive happening. And and something that I see very clearly uh, is that slowly but but surely these different social movements are starting to recognize that at the end of the day, we're fighting for the same thing. And at the root cause of all of these frictions and challenges that we're trying to address, it's the same. It's the same kind of issues and, and or it's the same root cause that these challenges and social issues shared. Um, this disconnection from between humans and nature um, that that started many many years ago but we're but we're really kind of starting to um to infuse societies in the middle ages where the church started to address nature as the work of the devil and um and it was not part of us it was not um we were not an interconnected part of nature it was something outside of us and those who knew about nature's ways and nature's wisdom um, primarily women uh, were called witches and uh, and were brutally tortured and um, and and were uh, put on trial led by uh, the church and the scientific community at the time because um, because the scientific community wanted to kind of extract all of the wisdom and knowledge about nature's ways from these women um, to knew, knew more about how, how that force could be dominated. And that was, of course, the start of the, of the global witch trials. And, and that view upon the feminine women, nature, um, has infused a lot of things and through colonization and how we have treated 
um, with that kind of mindset that that nature and the feminine is for us to dominate and exploit and take control over we we then went out into the world and colonized the world with those um in many ways very sick values so 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 that has infused societies all over the world um, and caused a lot of separation also between humans um it it it, it was also something that at the at the dawn of the scientific revolution um we started to nourish or give greater focus and attention to the left brain hemisphere. That's the part of our logical, rational, analytical sense. Um, and the right brain hemisphere, the um, intuitive, the creative, the part of our brains that are able to think in interconnected, holistic um, ecosystems were not nourished and were not prioritized. And that still infuse is is infusing our uh, global education system in in many ways um, we are not taught how to nurture our creative life force and how to bring that into play and in how we design our societies and how we interact with each other but there are so many small movements happening a homeschooling movement um, black lives matter occupy wall street and to me they are all uh, part of the same. They're all part of this needed movement of reconciliation, reconnection with parts of our of our collective psyche that we have lost through the journey of history that we need to be aware of. And, and what I also train executives in, in is to start to see when are they um, when are they nurturing this story of separation, both in terms of how they show up as hyper-masculine, um, dominating, controlling executives, and where are they starting to nurture the journey of reconnection, reconciliation, and reclaiming these parts of, of us that we have lost? And, and, and what I see is quite powerful because slowly but surely they start to open their eyes to, um, through how they can, on a micro level, play a part in, in healing our societies by becoming conscious of the fact that all of these movements and all of these challenges, they are not just something that is happening out there. It's something that we, through our programming, are continuously replicating um, and, and and it has to stop with us. It has mm -hmm. to stop with us carving out new ways. Mm -hmm. What is making me very positive and hopeful at the moment is that there's, um, I think I probably mainly communicate to, to an executive audience. It has started to shift. Um, but what I see is a, an amount of courage curiosity, openness to what I teach and my messages that were not here only two years ago. I felt two years ago, um, it was a lot harder to get across with my messages. And suddenly the, it feels like a channel has been opened and there's this receptivity. And not only that, there is this collective longing and this craving for something because on a global level collective level i feel that there's this it's it's like we have created more space within us for 
um, a connection to our inner self and that grief and longing we have for more purpose and and more than titles and money in the bank and the old world's view on prestige and success. So that's making me very excited. Mm. It, and me too. Like the, just to think of you there doing the work that we're doing here with in boardrooms and in not-for-profits and it, it, I feel a really growing sense of solidarity and like it's, yeah, it's really beautiful and I love what you said about um, to me it's this shift that we need to stop asking like what do we do which is so entrenched in that colonial capitalist idea of like that that our value and our worth is tied to our doing to who how do we need to be you know and I work a lot in the intersectional feminism space and some folks are like how do you like how can you be in that world and then also in this regeneration world and to me there's one and the same (laughs) They're, they're both advocating for more space in the systems that we've built wherein everyone gets to choose who they are and how they identify and to have equal access to resources and power within that, you know. There's, like, very much, and that, and that, that from that diversity, like, so much possibility and innovation and creativity is possible, like you said. So it's really, it excites me too, but I'm curious, like, as you're doing that work, something I come up against a lot is, that I'm, I'm holding this vision and uh, our business is built around these principles of regenerative leadership and then suddenly you're working with a client whose systems and structures are deeply not built in that way and mm. just that constant dialogue, I guess, between the old ways and the new ways. Like how do you personally navigate that when the pressure and the urgency or the pull to kind of abandon those principles within those systems in which you're operating like how do you deal with that tug of war um great question and it's something that i um constantly need to sit with for me it's incredibly important that i am grounded and that i am in true authenticity that i am that i'm walking the talk and speaking my values and not watering down the essence of who I am and and what I'm here to help cultivate. Um, and having said that, I also see my role as, um, as someone who can come into an organization which is a living system and and hopefully plant seeds and offer alternatives and giving examples, also business cases, etc., and helping all of the imaginal cells within that organism um, make them realize that they are not alone and there are new ways. And, and that they can start to see each other and, and they can start to co-create new ways of being within that living system of the organization um, on a micro level. And also accepting that we need to 
that Rome wasn't built in a day. And, and there's um, a certain part of my kind of activistic idealist that needs to take a backseat and hold a compassionate space for them to embark on a journey. And, and we cannot do that in a way where we hold space with a lot of judgment and cynicism and criticism that is infused in the, in, 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 in the space. So that's something that I'm very conscious of, that, that my role is here to, to put up a mirror in terms of um, see, see yourself and see yourself as a, as a steward of this planet, a steward of the time that we're living in. I talk to executives a lot about um, their role as future ancestors and, and help them start to cultivate a practice within themselves where they, where they look themselves in the, in the mirror and, and can be proud about what they help bring, bring up, what they help create in their lifetime. And also create a space where they dare answer the question, what do you think your future ancestors would have wanted for you to do differently? Um, imagine that kind of death notch of what happens at the end of, uh, end of your lifetime. Um, when you need to come to terms with your legacy and not your legacy in terms of titles and money in the bank and how big your house was and how many cars was in the garage. But what, what did you help bring about? If you envision that you gather around a fire with both your past and future ancestors and the talking stick is passed around the fire and everyone expresses what they help helped to bring about in their lifetime? What would they then be proud of being able to say? And for that, and for that purpose, that can be quite a powerful exercise. And it, it taps into that human ingenuity that I was talking about before, that powerful creative life force where they start to see themselves as stewards and not just I love the term, um, I think it was Joanna Macy that coined the term of, of deep stewardship. Mm. Deep stewardship is this recognition that, um, that, that it's, it's, it's important that we see ourselves not as these caretakers of planet Earth, but, but humbly as part of nature, part of this interconnected web of life. We are not above it. We are not superior. It's not our job um, to, to protect natural resources, if, to stay in, in, in the old world language. It's, it's our job to weave with the interconnected web of life and to continuously through our actions create conditions conducive for more life to thrive in whatever shape and form that may look. And that can also happen in the boardroom meeting. How do I, through my actions here in this setting, create conditions for life vitality? Um, and how can I plant seeds through my actions? But as you, as you said in your question, it is, it, it, it is sometimes we need to kind of just swallow that it's not perfect, but it's a process. And collectively, we are on a journey and there's, we are crossing a, a threshold and we are, 
we are going through this liminal space, this gooey phase of metamorphosis. And sometimes it's daunting and overwhelming and foggy and dark. And, and then we do see those cracks of light. And suddenly what I have witnessed is that suddenly companies that I have been kind of a bit frustrated about their lack of um, willingness to truly transition you should never underestimate what happens underground in winter, right? What what happens on, within those amazing trees and underground on this, uh, in the soil, what happens in the winter phase. And it's the same in organizations. It may look like nothing is happening, but a courage is being nurtured within the cells of the organism, all of the employees. And suddenly mm. the time is ripe for a radical change. That's what I have seen again and again. And again, that makes me very excited. Mm. I love, as you were talking at the start about compassion about holding a compassionate space and I looked across my room and I saw one of the very first books that I picked up when I was in my burnout healing phase (laughs) my winter my deep winter and it was mindful compassion was Kristen Neff's book and it was I hadn't yet I didn't yet have a language to connect the self and the system you know like I didn't quite I hadn't connected this healing journey with kind of the social lens that I'd spent my whole career in um but that book I remember being a seed of starting to pull these things these patterns together in terms of where we'd landed and where I where we'd landed collectively and where I was personally in terms of like how can we actually bring about change out there if we're replicating what the dominant culture says, which is purely shame and coercion and, you know, these strategies to help us do better or be better or be more or all these messages that we get. Like I know within myself that shame and coercion extraction domination doesn't bring out the best in me but compassion really does and when you were saying that that's how you hold a space in these in these boardrooms that that in itself is a healing reparative thing isn't it exactly Mm. exactly and that's been a learning journey for me as as well and it's something that I continuously need to check in with and hold space for within myself so I need to cultivate that space within me or else I won't be able to cultivate that for others and and because I started out um, as an angry environmentalist to some extent at least when I was younger um, I could notice myself Um, being triggered when for example I um, this is probably five years ago now I went to this spiritual retreat for global change makers um, people that have written fantastic amazing books and um, mainly focused on uh, this new level of consciousness and uh, Um, and new ways of bringing about a new leadership paradigm so it was it it was three or four wonderful days but I kept being very annoyed with the fact that they had that this retreat center who was hosting us um, they had plastic everywhere we had 
plastic cups and 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 it was <clears throat> it became very disturbing for me because I was just like this is not aligned I mean we can't continue to talk about um, bringing about a new level of consciousness and then we have massive blind spots ourselves and um, and and where are your clothes produced is that produced in China and we need to kind of be um, be aware of all those micro decisions that we take continuously um, and of course that is true um, but it's just an example where um, I was also a lot younger than than many of the other people there um, so I probably took on the role as the young angry activist in that uh, in that safe space because it was not something that was kind of was a safe space for all to share whatever was alive for them at that given time um, but it was just an example of um, of me really noticing that when you when you come with that um, finger pointed and are judging and shaming and you create that that resistant energy, you do not cultivate a space where um, where where people dare to do things differently, um, where people are feel safe to explore that they could probably do things differently. And I think that's really what is missing from many of the very important global movements around this, that, um, yes, we need to, of course, look at everything um, from the use of plastic cups in our meetings to what clothes we are paying for, because every action is an investment in the future that we want. And of course, that is true. But how we communicate that message is just um, of paramount importance for, for us that are here to bring about a new healing regenerative way. Mm. And I love your continual reference to healing because I think it is a healing journey. Like I think it is we're healing from from colonization, from capitalism, from patriarchy, but like we're healing, we're, we're healing the separation, as you said, going right back. And it's not linear, like this conversation. And it's not, it's not um, like, there's never a there that you get to where you can say I'm healed and, and, and ready and fully embracing my regenerative leadership potential. But I'm, I'm curious for those of you that for, for those that you work with that do begin on this healing journey and start to embrace these principles in their communities, in their relationships, in their workplaces, what do you see in terms of the transformation both individually and collectively or organizationally? Um, I again it's not a linear journey. And it's very much um, this process of emergence um, that has the two qualities of divergence and convergence, where um, divergence is this importance of diversifying, experimenting, exploring, being very extroverted and open and receptive. But it will be too chaotic and no, nothing will come of it unless it has the energy of 
the more grounded convergence that are bringing parts together and consolidating and 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 bringing about a, a, a sense of cohesiveness. Um, it's very much that um, ability for regenerative leaders of being alchemists and being able to hold space for opposites um, because it's it's not a healing journey or um, a journey of transition where it's just about seeing the light and the potential and the business cases and then everyone gets excited when it's announced and and people are just starting to live happily ever, ever after in a regenerative world that that's not what I have ever seen what I have seen is that a, a, a light goes on and there's a new glimpse in their eyes and there's a new sense of purpose um, but on this journey, when we start to hold space in new ways, also for our employees and our co-workers, our teams, um, and when we start to create the conditions for more life to thrive, there's also a lot of um, dirt that is being stirred. And what do I mean by that? I mean that when we are creating more authentic environments for us to not spend a lot of resources to go in the office and wear a mask and play a role, which is the case in many organizations, so much energy is, is spent on playing roles and wearing masks. Whereas when we start to create the safe spaces for us to be our true authentic selves, it also means that we slowly but surely are creating this developmental culture. And sometimes that can be very messy. And it's about creating this compassionate, compassionate sense of understanding that the messiness is okay. We've been taught that we need to hide the messiness, that it's ugly, that we cannot show it to anyone and we need to show ourselves in this perfect uh, polished um, summer version of ourselves um, so so these journeys are exciting and fascinating and brings about a lot of uh, new energy and, and a deep sense of purpose for the people that I've witnessed um, on this journey um, but it can also be confusing. And some of the organizations that I've been a part of helping them transition to regenerative ways, where it has been found or initiated, um, and, and therefore the employees may not, to begin with, be particularly excited about uh, working for a regenerative company. Maybe they're more excited about other things within their kind of um, professional niche. Um, so in the beginning, they may see it as a waste of time. And why do we have to have these meetings where we are learning to um, cultivate this? Uh, I, I work a lot with this concept of seeing yourself as an ecosystem facilitator. And that's a mindset that every cell in the organism needs to have to a greater extent, um, because we need to let go of these rigid mechanistic hierarchies and move into a more vibrant living system organizational design. And for us to do that, all the cells in, in, in the organism needs to have these sense and respond capacities and they need to understand the self better and we need to cultivate, I think you said that at some point, one of the most important things for ecosystems to thrive is that the quality of the interconnected relationships is, is very high. So that's one of the things that we focus on first. How can we improve the quality of the interconnected, interconnected relationships within this organism? Um, and that does bring out a lot of all kinds of things. 
um, <laughs> that that can be very unpleasant for people and that they want to shut down. Um, so, so, so what I have seen again and again is, um, is, is this um, ebb and flow of excitement resistant uh, um, and new kind of curiosity and, um, and, and, and this willingness to explore and this excitement around being part of, a, of an organization that is allowing a deeper sense of purpose and, a, and this deep stewards, stewardship. But then again, oh no, this is just too complicated and messy and I'm out of my comfort zone and it's, um, I hate this and I want to leave. And, and that's, that's part of life. But, but through the journey, things, I mean, when you start to disturb any living system in the beginning, it can create a lot of chaos. Mm. But then a new flow starts to set in and you kind of different flow that the organism have never experienced before, but it's because it's been too controlled. And now these cells are starting to experiment with self-organizing ways and new magic starts to happen, new life force, new energy is, is part of that living system. Um, and that is what I see again and again. And, and that makes the journey worth it for all the people that were also resistant in the beginning and they start to see the benefits they start to notice in themselves that they don't leave the office feeling depleted that they leave the office feeling energized and excited and 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 we should never underestimate what a deep sense of purpose does to our inner creative cauldron mm, so beautiful i um i love that you said it's this ebb and flow between resistance and flow I can't remember the exact words but it's it's like how do we even include and acknowledge the resistance as well you know it's like even not cutting up that part but seeing that as part of the homeostatic flux is so beautiful and empowering and I I love seeing you know leaders release their white knuckle grip on the business case which is so vital I think to begin conversations and just come to that really vulnerable place of, of acknowledging, no matter their privilege, you know, that this mm. isn't working for anyone and that this actually doesn't feel very good for anyone, you know. Mm. And I think, like, that place is where the possibility lives so much is if we can get to that moment of vulnerability in our relationships of just acknowledging without shame and without also needing to know the answer like the, the feedback is that this just isn't working um I have great hope of what might be possible yeah me too mm. Laura thank you so much for this conversation I just want to I guess offer the space because I know when you start talking and you start being that channel for life to come through you that there might be things that I haven't asked about and I wanted to open the space for you to feel into if there's anything you wanted to share with the listeners before we finish up mm, thank you for that opportunity I think what is exciting about a, a path or a journey of regeneration um and this new emerging paradigm is that for the first time, at least from my point of view, this is a paradigm that is being, that is emerging 
from all corners of society. Previously, the the discourse has very much been that it has to be led by the by this the by the elite of society. That sustainable transition has to happen by scaling more technologies and agreeing on new political frameworks. And and something new is happening that I that I can't yet put into um, to eloquent words, but it's a paradigm that is emerging everywhere and um, and in every corner of society. I've just begun a, a year-long um, regenerative leadership journey that I hold space for. And normally I, I mainly attract executives and, and people from the business world and it's been completely different this time around. That's also why I said that it's starting to change slightly. This is truly people from all walks of life that are joining forces from everywhere in the world. Um, and, and that is really exciting because that is what needs to happen. We cannot bring anything new into the world if it's top-down managed. It has to happen on all levels of society. And we need to let go, actually, of this understanding that there are levels in society and that there is a so-called elite. So for everyone who's listening, if, if what we have talked about today is resonating, just know that you can be the cauldron of change. You can be... Uh, the imaginal cell within the caterpillar, I love that metaphor, that um, when the caterpillar goes into the chrysalis phase, um, there are cells that have light dormant at the caterpillar stage. That is called from uh, the biological term is imaginal cells. They look like the caterpillar cells, but they hold the higher evolutionary potential of the caterpillar. And in the chrysalis phase, in the dark, gooey, liminal space that the caterpillar is in, the caterpillar cells are dying and slowly but surely the imaginal cells are waking up and they are starting to group together. And through that grouping, the butterfly slowly emerges. So you are an imaginal cell and it's about daring to start having out new ways, grouping with other people. And through your actions, you are creating the emergence of something new. So what we need now more than ever is people that are turned on and excited about the potential and that realization that you, through your actions, on every little action that you make, you are contributing to bringing about a new thriving paradigm. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a beautiful call call in to be part of the community and to disrupt the known ways of identifying leaders and leadership, which I love. Laura, thank you so much for the conversation. So much. And thanks for all of your beautiful work and what you bring into the world. Ditto. I look forward to chatting again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks for that.